Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, help us to have open and receptive hearts. Help us to hear this as the word of God, and by your spirit, transform us. How we think, how we act, how we believe, that we might be more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Last night, my wife took my boys and they went and watched my daughter in a production of Big Fish. I had seen it a couple of days before, and I stayed home with the baby. And after I got him to bed, I went down and watched some TV all alone in the silence of my home. It was amazing. (laughs) And as I'm watching TV, my large dog, our lab, comes and lays down and goes to sleep. And then our small 10-month-old little dog comes and sits next to me and falls asleep. And they are both peacefully enjoying this silence in our home, even as I am, until the garage door opens. And then the little dog, in the midst of his stupor, goes, a little tiny growl, at which point the big dog's eyes open up, and the little dog goes, and the big dog goes, and then you hear some more noise upstairs, and the little dog gets up, and it's getting louder, and the big dog gets up, and it's like they're fighting one another, who can be the loudest? And finally, somebody comes in the house, and the dogs just charge upstairs, growling. And I mean, they're just ready to maul whoever it is. This happens all the time. <laughs> every FedEx person and UPS person that comes to the door, every person that walks in front of our house, they are always growling at these people. And I have sat down with my big dog and I've said, you don't have all of the information. If you did, you would not be doing this. And she just growls at them some more. I've not even tried it with the little dog because he wouldn't care. He just doesn't really get it. But they are barking and going nuts until they get all of the information. And then once they do, then they maul you for a different reason. Please love me and pet me and let me hold me and all of these things, you know. But they get so upset and they don't really need to but they're lacking some information. Something like that happens with the Sadducees. They are going to get so upset, so upset that they're willing to work with other religious leaders they normally despise because they want something. And so they start barking and growling, and that's what this passage is about. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 20. We're on page 1499, if you're in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 20, page 1499. And we're coming into the midst of a number of accounts that Luke strings together, where different leaders are coming after Jesus. And as we begin this one, the Sadducees have a real problem 
Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. The Sadducees are a group of religious leaders. They tend to be wealthy. They're tied into the temple. They are the conservatives of their day. More religiously conservative than any of the other groups. So much so that they only hold to the first five books of the Bible. The Torah or the books of Moses. They consider those books to be authoritative. And so one of the things they reject is the resurrection. They also reject angels and demons. They reject the supernatural in general. This group is a powerful group in the first century that doesn't believe in the resurrection. Now here comes Jesus. He is teaching things they absolutely disagree with and he's got a crowd. So here they come and they're going to pose a question to Jesus. Here's their question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. You will find this in Leviticus in the first five books. They hold to this and the question they're going to pose to Jesus, they have also posed this question to others. For them, even though this question seems ridiculous, it is a very legitimate question that they believe is a very strong theological argument for their position. They would present this to the Pharisees who do believe in the resurrection. They present it to others. So now they're bringing it to Jesus. We're going to take him down. So Jesus, this is what the Bible teaches. And you believe in the Bible, right? All right, well, let me pose a question for you then, Jesus. Now, there's seven brothers, and the first one married a woman and died childless, which means that second one's got to then marry her, raise up children on behalf of his brother. But there's an issue, Jesus. The second and the third married her, and in the same way, the seven all died leaving no children. This lady has had seven husbands who have all died. I would not want to be the eighth person to marry her. (laughs) And they all die with no kids. Finally, she dies and they say, Now, Jesus, if you're going to follow the scriptures, who has her in this age of resurrection that you talk about? Did they all get her? Does the first one get her? If the first one gets her, then what about the other ones? They all married her too. They think... This is a really good question to trip him up. Now, they have a problem. And I want us to be really clear on the problem. It is not that they are challenging Jesus. In fact, for them to be genuine, for them to be honest and authentic about who they are, for them to take care of the people that are following them, they should challenge Jesus. They legitimately believe in the theology they are presenting and that they are protecting both the people that might follow them and, and this is really important for the Sadducees, peace within their city and within Rome. The Sadducees were the closest leaders to Rome. And you don't want to mess up this whole peace that they have right now. 
So what they're doing has some legitimacy to it. Here's the problem. They are utterly arrogant. You see, when they bring this to Jesus, they absolutely believe he's going to go, oh, I've never thought of that. What a great, wow. Um, gosh, you are, gosh, you are right. I need to stop doing this. Arrogance is like stopping your ears, putting blinders on, and then charging forward. I am totally right, and I already have everything I need, and I'm just going to move forward, not listening. That's their problem, arrogance. Because what they're doing, everybody should be challenging, especially if you legitimately think somebody's wrong, but not like this. I would assume if I say the name Muhammad Ali, Everyone will know who I'm talking about. Um, one of the most famous boxers of all time who goes on a string for about three years of just wiping everybody out. But he was also known to be quite boisterous. He called himself the greatest boxer of all time. He would tell people, I'm going to knock you out in this round. I mean, he was known for boasting in these ways. And even those in some of the boxing world didn't like it. And there's a story told of him being on an airplane. And before the airplane takes off, he won't put his seatbelt on. And the stewardess comes down and says to him, Mr. Ali, you need to put your seatbelt on. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she says, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> Our arrogance can really blind us to the basic things around us. And it doesn't allow for us to move forward in a healthy way or to receive what Jesus is about to do. Because the solution to arrogance is what? Say it. Humility. Look what Jesus does. Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. The first problem you guys have in your arrogance is you have a misunderstanding about the age of resurrection. The thing that you guys are arguing against you don't even understand. Let me tell you something about what's going to happen in that period of time. When the resurrection happens, so we're in the age now that he is talking about in the beginning, but when that age comes, you will no longer marry or be given in marriage. There will be no death. There will be no reason for populating all of these things that are part of our life here. That part of it 
is very different then. No death, no marriage. Now, when he says you'll be like angels, he doesn't mean you're going to become an angel. Please do not think that Christianity teaches that when you die, you become an angel. You are a human being. You will always be a human being. However, in the age of resurrection, you will have a resurrected body. Fully redeemed, no longer able to die, no longer, you will not get sick any longer. You will not grow old and start falling apart. All of these things that happen, that will not happen in the age of resurrection. It is a different kind of life. Do you remember when you were younger being asked a question like this? Would you rather be able to fly or to breathe underwater? Remember being asked questions like that? You know, would you, would you rather be super strong or super fast? Right? Now, for a moment, I want you to imagine, take one of those. Imagine what that would be like for you. Imagine you could breathe underwater. How different would things be? What could you do? That you couldn't do now other than just breathe underwater. Imagine if you could fly. Yeah, how would that change your life? So the resurrection life, the age to come, it is not just this life slightly different. It's a different quality of life. Jesus says the first problem you have is you don't even understand the age you're talking about. However, there's a second problem you have. You also don't know the scriptures as well as you think you do. Look back at the text. Verse 37. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses, now he could have gone to Isaiah, he could have gone to Daniel. There's multiple places Jesus could have gone to show resurrection to show eternal life where does he go he goes to Moses why because Moses is in the first five books I'm going to prove my theological point from where you actually believe is truth even Moses showed that the dead rise for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and of God of Isaac and the God of Jacob He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. may sound like a slightly convoluted argument, but here's what Jesus is saying to them, and this is what they would have understood. Moses speaks of him as the God of Abraham, not the God who was the God of Abraham. It's a present tense thing. And since God has made promises to all of the patriarchs, And since he's the present, he can't be the God of the dead people. Therefore, Abraham must be coming back. He must rise. For God to be his God, for God to let the promises extend, he must be coming back. Or we'd speak in the past tense. That's his argument, and that's what the Sadducees would have understood. So here's your problem, Sadducees. Your arrogance blinds you from recognizing, number one, you don't even know what you're talking about when it comes to this age of resurrection. And number two, 
as much as you think you know the scriptures, you don't know them as well as you think you do because they actually teach what I'm teaching. Humility. It can be a very difficult thing. Humility is when we are willing to learn. Humility is when we are willing to see that we don't have all the answers. When we're willing to listen to the scriptures and be challenged, even after, I will not ask you to raise your hands, but I know there are people here, you've been following the Lord for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You still have things to learn from God's word. And we all know that, but are we willing to actually learn them? Are we willing to let it challenge us even today after all this time? There was a book that came out a few years ago. I'm going to approach humility from kind of the opposite called The Entitlement Trap. Now, would anyone argue that entitlement is an issue today in our culture? Anyone argue that? <laughs> um, so, in this book, they did a number of surveys with parents, and they asked them what are the top challenges with their kids. Here they are. At 7%, it was bullying. At 8%, it was substance abuse. At 14%, it was peer pressure. At 16%, it was excessive technology and gadgets. I'm surprised that was not higher. At 53, 53%, it was entitlement. That the biggest challenge they have with their kids is feeling entitled. Here's the thing I want you to hear. They describe this problem in these ways. Entitlement leads to low motivation. Entitlement means kids think they deserve everything so they don't have to earn anything. Entitlement makes them disrespectful. Entitlement means they don't even learn how to work. They think they have to have everything their friends have. So they're very rarely satisfied with what they have. And this one, it's the reason for all the other problems on the list. <laughs> Entitlement is the reverse of humility. Humility is this, high motivation, because I have a lot to learn. I have a lot to grow in. Entitlement is, I don't think I deserve everything. So I do work hard. In fact, I want to learn to work because there's so much to grow in. Entitlement is, I don't need everything. I mean, humility is, I don't need everything my friends have. I need to be thankful for what I have and appreciate it. Their problem primarily was arrogance. The solution for them was humility. I would say the same thing is true of us. You see, arrogance is so dang blinding. And humility is opening our eyes. And something happens in this text that I think is incredible. Look back at the very last two verses. 
Verse 39, some of the teachers of the law responded. Now notice the, Pharisees, the Sadducees don't. The sad part of this account is we have no evidence that the Sadducees get the message at all, even though he's talking directly to them. And yet, some teachers of the law responded, well said, teacher. Here's why that's so incredible. If you go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 20, look at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they show up right here to challenge Jesus. And Jesus responds to them, and the challenge is, by what authority you're doing what you're doing? And Jesus says, what authority does John the Baptist have? They won't answer. He says, I'm not going to answer you then either. Well, then you get to the next challenge. Look at verse... I should be wearing my glasses right now. Um, Verse 9 is a parable he tells. And he challenges the religious leaders with that parable. And when you get to verse 19... The teachers of the law, here they are again, and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. Okay, these guys have been at the forefront of challenging Jesus, even to the point that they want to arrest him. And yet, there is something of humility in these teachers of the law because when you get to this point, at least some of them, finally go. Wow. Well spoken, teacher. You've just said something that has gotten through. Even though I rejected your authority even earlier, even though I want to arrest you, at this point, something got through. Can that happen for us? Can we be humble enough to let the word of God get through? Can we be humble enough to want to learn? Can we be humble enough to move the blinders down and not think we have all the answers? Because it's really easy to say, (laughs) it's really easy to say I don't have all the answers. Do any of you think you have all the answers? Just raise your hand. All right, we've got two. We've got one toward the latter part of his life and one toward the beginning of his life. Huh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's really easy to say I don't have all the answers. It's so much harder to listen to other people, to the word of God, to things that are maybe against what I think my answer is. But that is ultimately what the teachers of the law seem to do in this passage. Can we do the same thing? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would be humble enough to really listen to it. To have both a desire and a willingness to learn and to change. Lord, that we would be open to the idea that we don't have all the answers. We don't even see the whole picture. We are often missing facts, just like the Sadducees were. Lord, help us to listen to your word, to listen to your spirit, and, as I taught on a few weeks ago, to listen to each other. 
to be open to correction, to be open to learning, to be humble. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.